0: even know what to say after that except for to tell you that I am incredibly sorry if this is your first time or if this is like the third time you came and you're like, man, this place might be all right. Or if you brought a friend today, I feel a little bit sorry because today we're talking about money. And it's like this weird thing, you know, like people say you shouldn't talk about politics, religion, or money. <laughs> and like, I guess I've never heard any of that advice because that's all I do. Hey, like last six weeks we talked about politics and that's over. We always talk about religion here, right? Like that's kind of our deal. And now it's like, hey, it <laughs> hasn't been uncomfortable enough. Let's talk about money too. But we're going to talk about money. And when we talk about money, I, w- I want you to know a few things. Number one, the reason that we talk about money regularly isn't because we want something from you, it's because we want something for you, okay? If if you look throughout Scripture, when Jesus talks, if we talked about money as frequently as Jesus talks about money in the Bible, we would talk about money every three weeks, and I would just pull my hair out, (laughs) because I feel weird talking about money. I feel weird talking about money because, like, it's always this thing where it looks like there's a selfish motive in it for me. Right? Like, of course, the guy who works here is going to tell us to talk about money. Like, of course, he's going to think it's important. But I I want you to know that, that when Jesus talks about money, a large portion of what he says about money isn't just about giving, and so when we talk about money here at Highland, we make it a point to make sure that we don't just talk about money and say, all of your money problems will go away, everything will be fine if you just write us a big fat check. You know, like, like we're never the church that says, don't make me holler, don't make me shout, turn those pockets inside. I, I use that line every year when we talk about money because I just want you to know that this isn't like my favorite subject to talk about. But the fact of the matter is, is that when Jesus talks about money, Jesus talks a lot about money, and he talks a lot about how we manage our money. And I think that if I were to take a a survey of this room, and I were to ask you to kind of talk to me about your financial situation, I think to a T, it would go something like this. Well, we get by, we probably could use a little more, we probably have too much debt. Right? Like, like, I imagine that if I were to ask you in a few sentences to describe your financial situation, it probably would look something like that. And so, that's why over the next three weeks as we talk about money together, we're talking about the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is kind of a, a common catchphrase that people use to talk about an awkward situation. Like, you can imagine if there was a 14-foot high, seven-ton elephant in the room, everybody would want to talk about it, right? Like You would be like, there is something we need to talk about. You couldn't get by without noticing the elephant. But what happens when there's a metaphorical elephant in the room is that there's a situation going on, there's some tension happening, there's something that is true for everyone in the room, but not everybody wants to talk about it. And so everyone just kind of pretends like it doesn't exist. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about some big elephants that are in the room every time we get together. And these elephants that are in the room are, are according to statistics, more true than they are not. So even if, even if this week you say, I don't fit in this category, I can guarantee you that next week or the week after you probably do. And so we're going to talk about some elephants that are in our room as far as the money and financial aspects of our life's lives go. And so today we're going to talk about the elephant in the room that most of us have too much debt. And again, I say most of us because there are people in this room who who live completely debt-free. I say most of us because there are some of us who aren't really crippled by the debt. It's just something we have and it's, you know, a financial maneuver we think we're making. And I also say that in this room knowing that I'm talking to a lot of farmers and I know that one of the rules of farming is you're not doing farming right unless you're in debt, right? Like we've talked about debt before and I've had people leave the room and be like you can't talk to farmers about debt. But I want you to know that when we talk about debt, we're not talking about, about farm debt. We're not talking about necessarily about mortgage debt. We're talking about what most, most financial experts would call bad debt. And what bad debt is, is things like credit cards, what bad debt is, is, is things like high interest payments on car loans and, and on unsecured loans. What, what most people consider bad debt are the kinds of things not that are leading you to a productive life, not that are a part of, of the way you, you manage and what you do, but it's the part of your life that probably wasn't some of your best decisions. Like, let's be honest, the payment you're carrying on that truck that you drive once a week just kind of to have driven it, is probably bad debt. And the payment on the tractor that you support your family farm with, that's one thing, but the payment on, on the boat that you financed because you wanted to go on the river once, twice, three times a year isn't quite the same thing. And I know something about bad debt. I know about bad debt because I, I, I went to college, and when I was on my way to college, my dad said, I think one of the things you need to do is you need to open up a credit card in case of emergency. And I I thought he was right. I thought it would be good. He said it would be good to open the credit card in case you have an emergency, in case something comes up. And he said it also would be good to to, to build up some credit so that when you get older, you'll have that credit establishment. Here's the weird thing that happens, though, when you go to college. And parents, if you have a student in college, you know this. Or if you have a kid about to go to college next year, you'll know this, too. Emergencies happen in college in the weirdest form. Emergencies take place in like, you know, everybody was hungry and nobody had any money for pizza. (laughs) Like, like, emergencies take place in the form of like, well, it was time for intramural basketball and I didn't have any tennis shoes anymore. Or, well, you know, the girl girl told me that she only thought that men who were worth it took her to nice places to eat. And so it was an emergency to try and take her on a date. You know, like, like whatever it is, these emergencies happen all of the time really, really quickly. And these emergencies came and they kept coming and they kept coming. And all of a sudden, I had like this, this weird kind of pet that I just sort of like carried around with me sometimes where I was like, I've got a little bit of credit card debt. And, and, the, and the part-time income that I had wasn't really enough to make it work. You know, so I, so I figured out that I could just pay like the minimum payment and still use a little bit of the credit card and still use a little bit of my cash. And it kind of, you know, kept happening. And so I figured out really quickly, that if you pay the minimum payment, but you keep using it, eventually you get to what's called max out. And the emergencies kept coming in the forms of like, you know, burritos and, and Skyline and, 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 and t-shirts and like these emergencies kept happening and kept happening. And so I, I, I'm, I'm figuring out really quickly that, that as my credit card debt builds, it just kind of keeps staying with me a little more and a little more. And, and I'm just carrying it with me like it's not that bad, you know. It's, it's heavy, but it works. And so I just keep carrying it and carrying it and carrying it, and it's, it's bothering me, but, but I still have one hand free to do what I need to, you know, like, like things are good. And then my credit card gets maxed out, and, and for the last time, I call the bank and say, can you extend my credit limit? And they say, we've done that several times already. Not going to do it this time. I start to get a little desperate because now it's going to be harder to go out to eat. It's going to be harder to pay for the things that I'm used to paying for. So I go to a different bank and ask them for a credit card, and they see my credit history, and they go, sure. So now all of a sudden I've got, I've got these two pets that I'm carrying around with me, and the one helps me to pay off the other, but it, it doesn't really release the burden any because I just keep trading it from one hand to the other, and I just keep moving and doing it and trading and, and changing and so college graduation comes, and I get a job. And I realize that at this job as a youth minister, I need a computer. And, I, and the, the old desktop that I have, it's not really as nice as it could be. And so I decide to go to one of those places where they sell computers, and I say, can I put this on a, on a payment plan? And so now all of a sudden, I have credit cards that are more than maxed out, And I have this payment on a computer, and I've got a cell phone bill to pay, and I just kind of start carrying these chains with me everywhere I go. And I'll never forget, it wasn't long after I graduated college, I I met a girl. And after a while, I realized that this girl was the kind of girl I wanted to spend more time with. And so we got to talking and talking and talking, and as things got more serious and as weeks and months went down the road, I, I, we started talking about the kind of things that adults talk about to each other, and we were talking about getting married, and we started talking about living life together, and, and Whitney told me, she said, I've got a lot of money in savings, so we have a great cushion to start. And I looked at her, and I said, good. And she said, do you have money in savings? And I said, is a savings account a real thing? I thought that was just like in the movies. And so, through some conversations, it came to find out that Whitney came to find out that not only did I not have savings, but I was still carrying this this burden of debt. And, and I had it managed right; it wasn't it wasn't all that terrible. There just wasn't a ton of wiggle room for me. And she looked at me one day and said, "If we're going to get married, I'm not paying that debt." She said, you have to pay that or I won't marry you. And it might be the worst word she ever said. She should have probably just said at that moment, see you later. (laughs) But she stuck with me. And over the course of several months, I I kind of went through what maybe for some of you, it's time for you to go through. You see, according to the Wall Street Journal, something like 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, most of whom the Wall Street Journal says can't afford more than the minimum payments on the consumer debt that they're carrying. And so for those of you who are in the room today who are hearing me talk about debt, who see the chain of wearing a debt, you know this feeling exactly because you walked in here today and it was just as heavy on you. And and you're only carrying it metaphorically, but the reality is for you is that it's a heavy burden for you to bear every single day. And so you know that when Paul says in Galatians 5, 1, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery. You know what he's talking about, and you know that there's a possibility of freedom, but you also know that you are carrying the chain of a lot of debt. And you believe when it says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, that the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender because there's no better way to describe your relationship to your bank. There's no better way to describe the angst you feel when you open the mailbox. There's no better way to describe the pain that you carry every time an overdue notice comes because you've been trying and trying but it's hard to keep your head above water. A few years ago, USA Today did a survey of the 400 richest people in America, and over 70% of them said the number one secret to getting rich is getting rid of debt. If you look at the statistics on divorce, most of the numbers vary, but one of the numbers that everyone agrees on is if a marriage doesn't make it past the seven-year mark, that 90% of those marriages will cite money issues as one of the top two issues for the reason they're getting divorced. Because they're only seven years in and they can't quite figure out how to carry the chains for each other. And I knew that I didn't want that to be the case in my life. And I knew that I didn't want that to be the case for this marriage that I was hoping to to be a part of. And so what I did is I enrolled in this class called Financial Peace University. And this guy named Dave Ramsey started teaching this class called Financial Peace University. And he read this one of the very first nights, and it stuck with me forever. And I want to read it with you. He says, my son, this is from Proverbs chapter 6, my son, if you have put up security for your neighbor... And have given your pledge for a stranger. That means if you've co-signed on a loan or you've taken out a loan. If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son. Save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter. Like a bird from the hand of the fowler, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And I'll never forget that night when we read this verse and I was thinking, this is, this is me. This is me for the last four years. I've been carrying this chain that started out like a pet and then turned into this burden that I can't get rid of. This is me that I've just been closing my eyes to it and saying, it'll go away someday. I can do something about it someday. And this is me and maybe today this is you. And you're saying that, that burden, I wish mine was that light. And so if that's you, I want to talk to you today about that gazelle-like intensity that the Bible promises will take care of this problem. And a gazelle sounds like a, an odd animal to choose, right? Like you think like a lion or a bear or something crazy. But if you've ever seen a gazelle run, you know the only reason that a gazelle runs through the woods, don't you? It's to run for its own life. It's to run because it's being chased by a lion and its only option is either get away from the lion or live. And so here's the secret to living with a gazelle-like intensity to run away from the debt that is in your life. There's a couple steps to take. If you're a note taker, I encourage you to write these down because these are the steps that Dave Ramsey teaches. These are the steps that 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 I followed and these are the steps that eventually will lead you out of debt. The first is to develop a budget and a plan of attack. Now, I'm 29 years old, and I uh, have a house and a mortgage and kids and a wife, and I still tend to think of the word budget as a cuss word. (laughs) Like, because there's always something that I want that's not in the budget. There's always something I want to do that just doesn't quite fit in the budget. And so budget kind of ends up being this, this nasty term that scares me. But I want to share with you a few things about budgeting. The first thing I want to share with you about budgeting is what a budget is not. Okay, a budget is not a sacrifice of freedom. A budget is not a sacrifice of freedom. It doesn't mean that you can never have anything you want. You can never have anything you, you desire. A budget is just simply a, a means and a plan. A budget is also not a means to punish your spouse. A budget isn't a way to say it to your spouse, to say it to your neighbor, to say it to your friend, hey, I, I, you can't do that, and I don't want you to. A budget is much more. In fact, I, I want to share with you what, what exactly a budget is. You see, a budget is a guide by which you spend your money. It's not a weapon. It's not a chain. A budget is a guide by which You spend your money. Here's how a budget works. A budget has to be accurate. It has to include all of your daily, monthly, weekly expenditures. All of the things that you do as a family, as a people, have to be included in that budget. The second thing is your budget must be realistic. And I know that sounds crazy, but here's how this goes, right? If you're like me, and one of your other major issues in life is that you can't stop eating all of the time. You've, you've done this thing before. You've said, I'm going to go on a diet. And the diet that I'm going to go on is a thousand calorie diet. For breakfast, I'm going to eat nothing but a grapefruit. For lunch, I'll be lucky if it's a half a piece of toast. And for dinner, I'm going to have one chicken breast with no pepper, no salt, no mayonnaise, no anything on it. I don't know why you'd put mayonnaise on your chicken. That sounds gross, but you know what I'm saying? Like, and then for dessert, I'll have one slice of an apple. How long is that diet going to last? six minutes, seven, right? Like like that's not a realistic approach. And so when you plan your budget, maybe you have the gazelle-like intensity to say, we're never going out to eat. We're never buying any name brand groceries again. We're never doing anything like this. But maybe for you, it's more important in your budget to say, you know what? We can go out to eat, but only once a month, once a week. Maybe for you it's more realistic to say, you know, it's not about not buying those things that we like. It's about making sure that we're waiting for things to be on sale. So a budget has to be accurate. It has to be realistic. And the third thing is the budget has to be enough. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much effort you put into it, your budget will never work if one of you or both of you are convinced that it's not good enough. This is the problem that we have at our house even even today with our budget, is that there are times when I think, I really want more to spend on X, Y, and Z. I really wish we had a little more A, B, and C. And and the thing about it is, is that in my heart it's not an issue of we don't make enough money. It's an issue of I haven't decided to be content. I'll never forget when I was in high school and I got my very first job. And my dad said, now how much of that are you going to put in savings? And I said, dad, when I'm old like you, I'll start putting money in my savings account. And he told me, he said, if you don't start saving now, you never will. Larry Burkett is a financial advisor. And Larry Burkett uh, tells the story of he had three couples in one day come to his house to to be counseled financially. And the first couple came to his house and they made $25,000 on the year. And they were in debt, they were uncomfortable, they couldn't manage it. And he gave them several books on budgeting, and he said, I I want you guys to know, this money, this amount is livable if you do it right. And they said, there's no way, not a chance. We couldn't live on $25,000. He said, we need something else. And he said, I'm telling you, if you plan your budget, you can do it. And so later that day, they left. a few hours later, the next couple came, and the next couple was making $50,000 a year. And Burkett looked at them, and he said, I'm telling you, you can manage a budget of $50,000. You can make a plan. You can live life on $50,000 a year. It's a manageable thing to do. You need to read these books. You need to follow this plan. You need to to have this budget. And the couple left and said, we can't live on $50,000 a year. And the third couple came in later that afternoon, and they were making $75,000 a year. And he said, I'm telling you. You can live on $75,000. It's not that hard. It's not that bad. You need to come up with a plan. You need to come up with a budget. Everything will be just fine. And they walked out and said, no one can live on $75,000 a year. And Burkett said, I, he said, I'll never forget realizing that the first two families would have been more than happy with the $75,000. But the idea is they really wouldn't have because when they got to the point where they were making the seventy-five, dollars the 75 wouldn't have been enough. And Burkett says this. He says, More money is not the answer, more discipline is. Until people decide to live on what they already make, more money will not help. In fact, Solomon says the same thing in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. And so this is the second thing that you need to do is you need to decide that what you have and what you make is enough. And then you need to take step two, and that's get frugal. You can pay off the the debt you already have. You can live on the income you're already making if you decide to really trim and cut expenses. I mean, we're talking for some of you, it might be the kind of desperation where you have to drop the smartphone and go back down to a flip phone. For some of you, it might mean the ultimate curse and not getting to go to Pasquale's for lunch anymore. Like whatever that is for you, there are ways and there are places and there are spots for you to cut in the budget. There are things you can sell. There are payments you can drop. There are things you can get rid of. You can get so good at selling things that your kids change your your dog's name to eBay and your kids think that if they don't act right, they're probably going to be next, right? (laughs) Like like they can think it's going to to them too. But you can get frugal and start making an impact. The third thing you do then is you set aside $1,000 for emergencies. And I know that saving $1,000 might seem crazy to you. But if you're starting to get frugal, if you're starting, if you're starting to, to, to make an impact, if you're starting to save like you know you can and budget like you know you can, then all of the sudden, That $1,000 will build. So then the next time an emergency comes, then the next time the car breaks down, then the next time the refrigerator's on the fritz, the next time a kid has an emergency room visit, you don't have to pull out a credit card. You don't have to wonder where the money's coming from. You can just simply say, we're ready. The emergency fund is there. And so here we are. We're three steps into this process, and we're still holding on to this massive debt, we're still being burdened by these chains that we're carrying, but here's the thing. If you start attacking your budget, if you start living financially with a gazelle-like intensity, if you start saying, we're not going to live this way anymore, then all of a sudden what happens is you start paying down the debt, and it starts just kind of going away. And you get to this point when you're just holding on to the smallest bit there at the end. And eventually when you've paid down the debt, you start to realize the freedom. And you start to realize that you're not captive anymore. And it takes time. It takes motivation, it takes focus, it takes energy, it takes intensity that you might not be sure you can do. But I can promise you this, is that there is no freedom, like the freedom of knowing the day, the moment, when you pay that last payment, because I've been there, and you make that last checker, and you click that last click, and you realize, I have no more payments I'm debt free. And then when the elephant in the room comes up and everybody else tells you about how they're struggling financially, when the elephant in the room happens and you realize that everybody else is living paycheck to paycheck, but you have a budget and you have a plan and you've told every dollar where to go, you realize that you don't carry that bondage anymore. And I'm telling you, it's a freedom like you've never experienced. It's the kind of freedom that Jesus came for in the first place. One of the first things that Jesus does publicly is he goes to the temple and he reads this verse to the people at the temple and he says he has come to preach the good news to the captives, to preach freedom for the bondage, to preach release from the slave. And he says this verse is being fulfilled today. You see, the promise that Jesus came to make is the promise of freedom. Freedom from the bondage of debt, freedom from the bondage of of hatred, freedom from the bondage of the sin and the shame and the guilt that are weighing you down today. Jesus came to preach that freedom and he not only came to preach that freedom, but he came to give you that freedom and he gave you that freedom not through a a genie granting a wish, not through the wave of a magic wand, but he gave that freedom through the hope that he promises an eternal life. And the hope that he promises us in eternal life is the one that he gave us on the cross. And so here in just a few moments, we're going to celebrate that hope that he gave on the cross. We're going to pass the bread, and we're going to pass the cup, and they're going to represent his body that was broken for us, his blood that was poured out for us. And we're going to celebrate that Freedom. The freedom that he gave us to attack the problems and the chains and to release the, the burdens that are holding us down. The freedom to have hope in something far bigger than ourselves.